Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant Baldwin. It is good to have you here. Really do appreciate this. Whether you're uh, hanging out with us at the gym, maybe we're going on a run together right now. Maybe it's you and me cooking dinner. Maybe you're on your way into work. Maybe you're on your way home from work. I don't know where you're at, but do appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us today. I don't think today's episode, and I hope no episode would disappoint you. But today we got a good one for you. Today we're joined by my friend Ryan Moran. Uh, Ryan is a guy who's a uh, entrepreneur. He's grown up as an entrepreneur and has built some really successful businesses in a variety of different niches and industries. So uh, this is definitely an episode you do not want to miss. So make sure that you lock in, buckle up, buttercup. We got to do today. So let's jump right into it. Let's not waste any time. Also, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're not wasting time here, but make sure, as always, make sure you download the bonus material for this episode and every episode where uh, after the interview, Ryan and I, we stick around for a few extra minutes. We chit chat and uh, you're not going to want to miss that. So we spend some good time together. So uh, make sure you download that over at grantbaldwin.com slash Ryan Moran. All right, now let's get into the interview, the conversation with Ryan Moran. Enjoy. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by entrepreneur Ryan Moran. He's got a uh, crazy story, all different types of stuff that he's had his hand in. So excited to uh, get into this today. So Ryan, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, Grant. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Now, I know you do a lot in the Amazon space, especially, and you do a lot, especially on creating your own products and selling your own products online. But I know you've done a variety of different businesses. So give us kind of a snapshot overview of what you've got your hand in, some of the different things you've been involved in. Sure. Well, just to clarify, you know, I see Amazon as a starting point. I think one of the biggest misconceptions that people make about the physical products business or the Amazon world is that you have an Amazon business, which is like nails on a chalkboard to me. Uh, Because you've got a business and your business can take sales and customers from a variety of different channels. Mine just happens to be on Amazon. So our starting point where we take customers is on Amazon. But you know, there's a variety of different channels that any business owner can utilize. And that has really kind of been my mantra ever since I was an entrepreneur. I just built all of my businesses around channels where I go to where the customers and the traffic already is. And I go and find out how to figure out that channel and get sales and customers from that. And that's where we start our businesses. So I have a couple physical products businesses that sell on Amazon. I work with some entrepreneurs to help them get higher level customers and to make more sales. And then I have a mastermind that's about business and investing. Nice. Sounds like you've got no shortage of things to do. Yeah, I know what I have to do when I wake up in the morning. (laughs) Good, 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 good. All right. So let's backtrack a little bit. I know you're down in Austin right now, but are you from down there in Texas? I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. No, that's right. I remember seeing you're a big Indians fan, right? Yes. Yes, sir. I'm a glutton for punishment. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. You had a rough run in the NBA finals this year. We've had a rough <laughs> run for about 40 years, Grant. We haven't heard anybody since the 1970s. You're struggling in life all the way around. I'm a, a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan. so we have had we've, a good decade. We've, we've had a good many decades, <laughs> thankfully. We've got a good run going right now. So, all right, growing up in Cleveland, did you want to become an entrepreneur? Like, How did that kind of come to be? Yeah, I started my first business when I was five years old. I drew pictures on computer paper and knocking on our neighbor's doors, asking if they would buy one of my things of art for a penny each. There you go. That, that business lasted for about an evening. <laughs> I made four sales, uh, four cents. Uh, two of them were from my dad. 
and my dad also bought all of the computer paper, so it was 100% profit. Probably there you go. The most, the, as far as percentage goes, one of the most profitable businesses I ever had. I like it. I like it. So like, were your parents entrepreneurs? Like, Was that kind of in your family, in, in the blood? My dad was a school teacher, and my mom was a secretary. My grandfather worked at the phone company. I have no idea what freak in the gene pool or what mailman showed up at the right time. I don't know what happened with my gene pool, but I'm kind of the freak in the family. We'll make sure your mom doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> so like growing up, do you remember at what point you decided like, you know what? I don't want to work for someone else. I don't want to just go down that traditional path. I don't want to just be the corporate guy. At what point did the switch flip for you to, to want to go down the entrepreneur path? Yeah, four years old. You know, uh, there's just <laughs> something about us entrepreneurs were weird. There was something about, I knew from you know, four years old that I wasn't going to take a traditional path. I don't think I even knew as far as job or income or career goes. I don't think I knew what the traditional path was, but I knew I was going to create my own life, whatever that was. And that the rules didn't apply to me for some reason. You know, and there's a lot of people that are listening to this who feel that same spot of just like, I know I want to do something unconventional. I want to do something different. I don't, I want to go against the the status quo. And like, that sounds great. And that makes for a great Instagram picture, but it's just, it's really difficult to actually start to develop that. So as you're moving through high school and into college and you're starting to go from just talking about it to actually living it out, how do you begin to make that transition? What was that like for you? Well, I was a dork in high school and college and now, but the thing for me was I didn't party in college. I read real estate books. I didn't do the things that most people do in their teens and 20s. I read about business and I dreamed about what I was going to dream about. And that made me weird, but I also just had an inner confidence about uh, that something was going to be different. How I transitioned was I kind of removed myself from reading the philosophical stuff, which is great, kind of the motivational stuff, which is awesome and has its place. And I started reading kind of the practical, here's how you start a business kind of, that's where I put my time and my attention. And I listened, I don't think podcasts existed back then, but I listened to interviews and I read blogs and I did those things to find out what the common threads were among entrepreneurs. And as far as the internet goes, I was a bit of a computer nerd in in middle school and high school. And there's actually a computer award named after me at my middle school, which is about <laughs> the epitome of nerdiness that you could, it is, you, it is you indeed. could ever have. Thank you very much. So I knew that whatever business I was going to start was probably going to start with some sort of computer background, right? So the goal for me was I was fascinated with real estate and I wanted to start a real estate business. So I'd raise a few bucks online, I thought. And the few bucks online turned into hundreds of thousands of dollars within, you know, a couple of years. And that was doing things like affiliate marketing and blogging and figuring out how search engines worked. So the takeaway there is I developed a skill set around someplace where I was already natural. It was natural for me to work at a computer or on a computer. And that was my leverage point for starting my first business. And I think one of the things that I see entrepreneurs try to do where it's just an epic, massive failure is they say, show me the hack, show me the path, show me what I have to do in order to to get the same result. Like give me the step-by-step thing where I'll get the exact same result as you, which is a dooming question from the beginning because everyone brings their own set of skill set, their own biases, their own beliefs to everything that they do. So nothing is going to have the same result if you duplicate what somebody else does. So I say start with something you're strong in and then develop a skill set around that. 
Cool. I want to come back to that. But so it sounds like in college, you're planning on doing something unconventional. Sounds like real estate may be a possible path. And so a lot of that was funded from the affiliate marketing stuff. How did you kind of get into affiliate marketing? Well, I was buying, you know, all of the same info products and such that everybody else was. And I kept coming back to this idea of, you know, you don't have to have a product, you can sell somebody else's product and kind of put two and two together that you had to have a product and you had to have traffic. And the product part was all taken care of with affiliate marketing. And okay, how do I go out and get traffic? And so I was the dude in his basement, quite literally, actually, who was testing all kinds of different traffic sources. And I found a few that worked, got rid of the ones that didn't work and scaled the winners. And that turned out to be very, very favorable for me for a couple of years until kind of the internet matured a bit and some things went away. And then I matured and develop those businesses as well. So for you, part of doing the affiliate marketing was more just kind of a means to an end, kind of a, yeah. a way to fund your real estate habit. Yeah, a lot of people get stuck in kind of the the cash flow and think my cash flow is a business. And I realized, I think earlier than most, that cash flow wasn't necessarily a business, but it was a great time to figure out skills. So I made in college, I paid for college and then some by just getting affiliate products to rank on Google. So I would have pages on Google. I figured out how Google's algorithm worked and I got those pages to rank high for certain keywords and then the traffic would flow and I'd get my affiliate commissions for if anybody bought anything. Now, I knew that wasn't going to exist forever. I knew that wasn't going to be that easy forever, but figuring out how to sell things online or how to figure out how Google's algorithm work is that's a skill that still exists today. In fact, today I'm meeting with a client who is one of the, the best Google SEOs in the world, but he doesn't know how to monetize. And we're using the exact same strategies that I did in college when I was 19 years old to pay for college on his businesses. And we'll add hundreds of thousands of dollars to his bottom line in a couple of days working together. Yeah. So for you, how did you, I guess I'm curious, like how you learned about affiliate marketing in the first place? Like, how did you realize that was an option on the menu? Oh, man, that's interesting. I think I just read every forum that existed on the internet about the end goal that I wanted and then bought everything that anybody was doing and probably experimented with every trick and every strategy that everybody marketed. And I learned what worked and then paired out what didn't work. And all of a sudden, people started asking me for advice. So it was a lot, a lot of trial and error, Grant. Yeah. And that, it's so cliche, but it was just throwing a lot at the wall and then really honing in on what stuck and allowing everything else to fall by the wayside. No, I mean, it is a cliche, but it's a cliche because it's true and it works is that you're trying a lot of different stuff. And that's not just relevant with affiliate marketing. That's with any type of business sure. of just, I'm just trying something. We'll see if this works. If this doesn't work, then we pivot and go, uh, you know, just accordingly. So, all right. So you're doing affiliate marketing for a little bit again, just to try to, try to fund the real estate. So is real estate kind of the long-term play of what you wanted to do? Did you want to be a, a realtor or an investor or a flipper yeah. or what, like, how did you want to be involved with real estate? Yeah, I would have been always fascinated by passive income, passive cash flow. So I knew from the get-go that I wanted to get in and own real estate for the long term. And I do that now. So I make my money in my businesses and then I invest that money into real estate and some other places because I am all about the passive cash flow piece. So yes, my play, I thought, was I'd raise a few bucks online so I could put a down payment on my first 
investment property and then try and do that again. But what happened was the internet paid me millions of dollars and now I invest that into real estate. Gotcha. All right. So is the affiliate market kind of the the passion for you or the drive or is it more the real estate? Well, I don't know if you know this about me, Grant, but my dream is to own the Cleveland Indians. All right. So I'm driven by that. If it was all about kind of passive cash flow, I think that's great. But, you know, I'd be on a scooter somewhere riding around Koh Samui Island in Thailand. You know, for me, I am about pursuing one vision and it's to own the Cleveland Indians and constantly leveling up in every area of my life of what it will take to get to that level. So for me, the passion, the drive comes out of just constantly trying to beat the previous level that I'm at today and do something different that takes me to a different level. Where do you think that comes from? Because I think there's you know, a lot of people that have kind of that inner drive and that inner just desire to be successful and also just kind of that inner confidence that I just have this confidence that's going to work out. And I have this confidence that this is, you know, if I keep going down this path, I'm going to be successful. You know, and you still have those, those doubts and those insecurities like everybody. But like, where do you think that inner confidence comes from? Is that something that can be manufactured? Uh, Grant, I have an answer, but it's such a silly <laughs> answer. I think I'm blessed by the fact that I didn't peak in high school. I was kind of a nerd in high school and a little bit socially awkward and realized that I had to kind of adjust the way that I did things. Gosh, I'm, I've never come off so nerdy in an interview before. Thank you for <laughs> tapping into my inner nerd, Grant. But I, I knew I kind of had to adapt and change in order to I guess not be, you know, that weird. So I've, I just kind of developed a muscle of improving and changing in order to get the result that I wanted. And I think we all entrepreneurs kind of have a little bit of superhero syndrome of we want everybody to think that we're a superhero. And in today's fast changing world, we've got to change and level up faster than ever before in history. It, it doesn't cut it anymore to just be king of town because you know there are no towns anymore we're all connected so i think part of it is just a healthy drive to be your best and that's great and i think part of it is probably some deep-seated psychological thing where we're all trying to compare ourselves to one another and we can argue if that's healthy or not but i just think that's the human condition right i think there's some truth to that for sure so do you think that for someone that may be listening and going like you know i'm motivated but i don't feel like i'm driven enough to try to acquire the indians although i mean if you're gonna buy low and sell high now it's like a good time to buy them huh i just i'm sorry i just had to throw that that jab in there (laughs) <laughs> but, but so, I mean, if, if someone's listening, they're like, I, you know, I'm not that motivated, but how do you, is it necessary to get to that level where you want to like do things on a massive, massive scale? Or like, I guess I'm just trying to figure out like, what's the right balance of being driven and motivated, but at the same time, just being content with where you're at? Well, I think motivated is kind of an interesting word choice because I think motivation is very overrated. I mean, get, I don't wake up in the morning and like all motivated. I just constantly ask myself, what's the one thing I can do today that will move the needle, that will push over that domino to start the next domino falling? You know, mm-hmm. what, what do I need to do today to kick down some doors and move this area of my life? And it's not even always business. Sometimes it's fitness or sometimes it's just the expansion of my mindset. And I'm not always motivated to do that. I didn't feel motivated to go to the gym yesterday. I went anyway But it wasn't because I just couldn't wait to go to the gym. It was because I was committed to a result. I'm reading one of the best books I've ever read in my life right now. It's called Straight Line Leadership. It's actually really hard to get. They run out of copies on Amazon really quickly. A friend of mine 
buys it in bulk and sent me a copy and it was a great gift. And he basically argues, you know, you don't get the results that you're motivated to get. You don't get the results that you think you should get. You get the results that you're absolutely committed to. So I think motivation is overrated and I'm not always motivated. I just know what I'm committed to and I follow through on the actions that are required for that commitment. So you said that you, you know, you wake up each day and you're trying to figure out what that initial domino is. You need a tip that just starts the, the process there and continues to move the needle, move the ball forward. So like, what do you do when you don't know what that domino is? You know, again, I, I think I think plenty of people are going like, ah, man, I'd, I'm totally happy to do whatever it is I'm supposed to do. I'm totally happy to kick over the domino if someone would just show me what the freaking domino is or just point me in the right direction. So how do you begin to kind of determine what that next domino is that you should be focused on if you're trying to make that transition into figuring out what it is that you want to do? So I'm going to answer this in two parts. First, invaluable resource for me is journaling. I would go crazy if I did not journal. I have so many crazy ideas and thoughts and new directions I want to take my businesses and my life in and I can't make a dang decision and it's all floating around in my head. I would go crazy if I didn't journal. So one thing I do every morning is I pull out my journal and I write down what my goals are and they're usually the same. Sometimes they get tweaked a little bit but I write them down every morning and then I look at them and I think, okay, Based on what I wrote down today and what's in my life right now, what's the one thing that I can do to move one of these dominoes? And it could be how am I feeling today? Where do I have some internal assets that I can leverage for one of these goals to happen? Or it might be just this is what's on my plate today and if I got that one thing done, it would really move one of these dominoes. So that's from a practical sense how I – handle all the craziness that's in my brain about figuring out what that next domino is. But on the other side of it, if it's, you know, I just will move any domino, just tell me what the domino is, is sometimes it takes just hustling different things and different ideas or working for different mentors or throwing your hat into certain things in order to be able to see enough clarity to know where that next domino is. Because look, there is no path. There is no blueprint. There is no right way or wrong way. There's just the decisions that we make. That's all there is. There is no, here's what you got to do to be successful. Here's what you got to do to make $100,000 a month. That just doesn't exist. It's simply an alignment of who you are, what you want, and what you're good at, and how that plays out. And sometimes it takes just trying a bunch of different things or working with a few different people or doing certain work for free in order to find out what you're good at until you can get clear on those dominoes. And that's not popular to say. Like People don't like to hear that, but sometimes that's the case. No, I think that's not necessarily sometimes the case. I think that's all the time the case. You yeah. know, like there's very few people that just catch lightning in a bottle. I mean, most of us, we are trying a bunch of different things. And even like you kind of alluded to earlier, when you first got started with affiliate marketing, there's, oh, I'm going to try this and try this and try this. And some of it's going to work and th- some of it's not. But I don't know unless I give it a shot. And I think that's so accurate, not just with, with testing different strategies or tactics for marketing, but just with life in general that, you know, there's there I may have 19 different business ideas, but I'm not going to make progress on any of them if I don't just pick one and just try that. And if it works, great. And if it doesn't, we'll revisit the drawing board. But you, you have to at least start somewhere. Yeah, I have a mentor. His name is Travis. And Travis likes to say people think that it takes a long time to get data on an idea, but it really doesn't. What it really takes is one customer. 
going to one customer and saying, is this a value for you? And you can very quickly pair through a lot of those ideas until you have multiple people saying, I will raise my hand and pay money for that. And that is a good indication of where you need to go next. I know very few people who are like, you know what? I was born to blank. I don't wake up in the morning like, you know what? I was born to sell fish oil and yoga mats on Amazon. I don't. <laughs> I know I was born to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. And there are things that are really important to me based on my experiences and the people that I've met along the way that I know I want to represent. Like I know that I want to be a representation for freedom and personal responsibility. That is part of my purpose. That's not because I was born to do that. I don't think that exists. I just know that that's very, very deeply rooted into me. And because of that conviction, I feel purpose behind that mission. But I know very little people who, who just say, you know, I was born to do this job or run this business. Everybody tried a few things and according to who they were and they stuck with what they found to work for them. So if I've got 19 different ideas that sound appealing and I know I just need to pick a domino and just start there, what criteria do you use even when you're evaluating your own business ideas and maybe what comes next? What criteria are you looking at to figure out which one to give it a shot? Great question. So there are a few ways that we analyze this. Number one, when we look at a business, we don't look at the idea so much as we say, okay, who does this serve? Who is the person that would consume this? And when we identify really deeply who that person is, then we can go to that person and refine the idea, ask them what they'd be willing to pay for it, see if we can serve them. That's number one. Number two, we go to our internal list of resources, our internal Rolodex, and we say, okay, what needs or desires do they have? Does what I want to offer match up with them? And let me simply ask if what I want to offer will be of value to them. There's a lot of benefit to just identifying who that target is, going to them and saying, all right, if there was a service for this, would you want to pay for it? And if they say yes, great, you just figured out your first customer. I mean, a kind of simple example is one of the ideas that my business partner Sean and I had when we started our yoga products company was we, we had all these different varieties of mats we could do. We could reinvent the wheel. We could add cool patterns or whatever it was. And we realized, you know, we were not the right people to make this decision. The customers are. So I think what we did was we started a, a Reddit thread and then called up a bunch of our friends who did yoga and went to yoga forums. And we simply said, could you help us design our next mat with color choices, length choices, what was important to them? Did it matter if it was environmentally friendly? Does it matter if it was good for hot yoga? And just ask questions and we designed our first prototype based on those answers. So if you've got 19 different business ideas, great. Identify who the target market is behind your top three choices and then go to that target market and ask if what you want to provide is actually of service to them. All right. It sounds so simple. So I just <laughs> ask people what they want and then I give them that. Like it's sometimes, I think that's just a great point there that sometimes we overcomplicate it. We make it way more than what it needs to be. It is finding a need that individuals have and then providing a solution, whether that's a product or a service, whether whatever that thing is, but providing a solution to that need, that pain that they have is really what business is all about. 
It only works, though, if you want to make money. If you don't want to make money, don't follow that process. Why do you say that? It was a joke that obviously wasn't funny, Grant. <laughs> All right. I didn't know if there's like some deeper meaning behind that there. <laughs> All right. So, okay, let's talk about the Amazon thing. Like at what point did you decide to, you know, it's one thing to do the affiliate stuff. It's another thing to create your own products. And, you know, Amazon is one sales channel, but there's eBay and there's plenty of others. There's brick and mortar. So at what point did you decide to start creating some of your own goods and begin to market those? I had a couple of colossal failures several years ago that basically were rooted out of me trying to duplicate what other people had done. I actually had a lot of success early in my career because I just kind of stuck to what I was good at. And then I met some friends who were really successful and I tried to duplicate exactly what they did and it just wasn't a fit with, you know, my personality and character and I lost a bunch of money trying to follow them. And so I kind of reached this point at which there was a reset. I had completed my failure, which meant I ran out of money and I ran out of money that allotted for that project. And I had a variety of different places that I could go. So I spent six months where I was, you know, I decided I wasn't going to start or work on any businesses. I took on a few clients in the meantime. And I really just focused on other areas of life, my fitness, my relationships, my health, reading books, listening to Jim Rohn, just kind of getting myself on a path for success again and waited for the next opportunity to show itself. Because opportunities, the opportunity of a lifetime happens about every four to six months. (laughs) So I just waited for that next opportunity to show itself. And when I was an affiliate, I did really well in a few markets. And I remember what one of my mentors said to me years ago when I was 21, 22. He said, you know, if I was starting a new business, I would focus on selling stuff, real stuff, not all this airy fairy stuff that everybody is selling, like the you can do it rah rah stuff, but I'd sell real stuff. And that kind of piece of advice kind of came back because I was waiting for that next opportunity. And then true to the mantra that I have of going where the customers and the traffic already is, started to look at emerging markets. And Amazon was just really ripe for the taking. One of my best friends just happened to be doing really well on that channel. And the competition was really low at the time. And he showed me and told me a few things that he was doing. And I started going back to the markets that I had done well in as an affiliate and saying, okay, if I were to really invest into this channel, this emerging channel where there are all these buyers and all of this traffic, what would we have to do in order to make a product or service really stand out? So to test the idea, to test the the different products we had, we started with white labeling where we just went to the manufacturer and said, well, take what you've got. And we'll put our label on that and we'll send it over to Amazon because Amazon does the storing, the fulfillment, the price taking. They do most of everything. You just got to send customers. So we started to identify the products we wanted to have, put our label on there. And we started with 100 units, which cost about 600 bucks. So I started with 600 bucks, sent them over to Amazon and those sold fairly quickly with some decent marketing. And as we found out that there was a market for some products and not a market for other products, we focused on the ones where there was a market. We ordered more inventory and started to really ramp up sales and reviews and traffic. And this snowball started 
to really, really build. And that company that started with 600 bucks is now worth about 6 million bucks. So I think there's a blog post in there somewhere about $600 and <laughs> 6 million has been floating around my brain for a little bit. And that's why journaling is so important just to work it out on paper. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, I guess one of the things that someone may be going to wondering is, is, okay, I've got a product idea and I'm wondering how do I begin to like put this into practice and how do I yeah. begin to maybe take some next steps with it? Cause it's, I mean, it's, it's one thing to have an idea. It's one thing to see it in a store. It's another thing to actually like I have it on the shelves of Amazon, so to speak, and figuring out how do I actually sell this. So here's what we're going to do. We're just going to float that out there. We're just going to tease that. We're going to talk about that in the bonus round. How do you actually create and sell a product, whether it be through Amazon or eBay or your own individual personal sales distribution channel? How can you begin to do that? So we're going to talk about some just high-level uh, strategies and tactics on that. But Ooh, I'm chopping at the bit at that one. Come on, that's just a tease. That's just We're just playing with people's emotions right now. Uh, all right. So in the meantime, though, if people are interested in, in learning more about what it is that you do, checking out your stuff, I know you've got a podcast. Uh, Freedom Fastlane is uh, actually I've listened to many, many times. Great, great content, great blog uh, that you've got as well. So where can we find out more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, Freedom Fastlane is the name of my podcast. And freedomfastlane.com is the flagship site, if you will. What I'm really excited about right now is I've kind of outgrown what I felt like my peer group was. So I'm doing my first ever live event, and it's called Freedom Fastlane Live. And the details there are at freedomfastlanelive.com. Gary Vaynerchuk, Grant Cardone, Pat Flynn, and several people who run $100 million-plus businesses will be there. We're actually working on Billionaire and somebody from Shark Tank. And so we're trying to get the best people into the room for Freedom Fastlane Live. Nice. Freedom Fastlane Live. When is that, you said? That's in December, okay. December 11th, 12th, and 13th in Austin, Texas. Beautiful. We'll definitely uh, link up to that in the show notes, send Thank people you. that direction. So again, Ryan, we'll hang out over in the uh, the bonus round, talk a little bit more about how do we take a product, actually begin to create it, market it, sell it on Amazon or wherever our uh, sales channel may be. And I don't know, maybe we'll sneak in some baseball conversation. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll talk about that over in the bonus round. Sound good? All right, great. Thanks, Grant. All right, there you go, my friends. Hope you enjoyed that chit-chat with Ryan Moran. Really good stuff there. I hope you enjoyed that. Hey, again, as always, feel free to download the bonus material. We'd love for you to do that, where Ryan and I, we hop back on the mic for a few extra minutes. And again, totally free, but you can download our conversation where we talk a little bit more about business, about selling through Amazon or eBay, and how to kind of get started in that. So make sure you check that out. That is not to be missed, my friends. Uh, also, be sure, if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and a review. We'd love, love, love to hear from you. We read every single one of those. Really do appreciate it. And dig you hanging out with us. Uh, and then one final thing. We're mixing up the end of the show here. I recorded a little conversation recently with my buddy uh, Jordan Harbinger over at the uh, Art of Charm podcast. So uh, we're going to let that take us out. So enjoy this little uh, eavesdropping with me and Jordan. Catch you next time, my friends. You're awesome. And my friends here with my buddy Jordan Harbinger, host of the podcast, The Art of Charm. Great dude and great podcast. Jordan, I was curious. The Art of Charm, it's a podcast and a site that kind of appeals primarily to dudes. Like, is it only for dudes or like, are girls allowed to listen to the show? No girls allowed. Actually, it's funny <laughs> because, of course, when I started the show, what are me and AJ, my co-host and business partner, we decided, okay... This is going to be spoken only from our experience. And since we've never been women, as far as you guys know, this is we true. can't really speak for women. However, 
I'll tell you right now, in the last two, three years, the female demographic of the Art of Charm listener base has gone through the roof. And that's because we no longer talk about, like, meeting and dating chicks exclusively, which it was, you know, six, seven years ago. Now we've grown up at least a little bit. And we talk about things that both men and women can use to get ahead in life, you know, from pretty much everything. And now while I still speak from the male perspective, I'm far more worldly than I used to be. Beautiful. All right. Where can we find the podcast? At theartofcharm.com or anywhere in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, just search for The Art of Charm. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.